The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash the Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This is Ebody and X, and this is The Candid Frame. This episode brings you part two of a great conversation with music photographer Danny Clinch, whose new book is called Still Moving. Danny has created photographs of some of the greatest performers that music has had to offer over several generations. And even if you don't recognize his name, I can guarantee you that you have seen his images and have remembered them. He's photographed greats like Jay-Z, Elvis Costello, Bjork, Run DMC, Patti Smith, and Willie Nelson. And all of his pictures, all of them, are beautiful and stunning, and I just can't stop looking at them. They're so good. And it's why I'm so pleased to share this conversation with you. But if you haven't heard part one, pause this episode now and go back and listen to part one. You don't want to miss it. I want to talk about the two, two extremes. I mean, here's like four to eight hours with, with Bob Dylan. Amazing, yeah. right? And then you've been shooting Bonnaroo for 50, you know, 50, about 15 years. Yeah. And you know, there you don't have the luxury of time with a lot of the people that you're photographing. Yeah. So tell us about you know working with such limited time as compared to having the luxury of a couple of hours with our artist. And mm-hmm. what allows you to still pull off some fantastic photographs you know, when you have such a limited amount of time mm-hmm. to be able to to do something and, you know, and try to produce something over 15 years is not the same thing that you produced five years or seven years or 15 years ago. How do you keep it fresh for yourself? Well, I always come prepared to the photo shoots with a couple of core ideas and inspirations of what I'm going to get. And I really do like to leave a certain amount open for spontaneity and to, to react to the situation that I'm giving. So whether it's a a four-hour shoot with someone or whether it's a very short amount of time, uh, I'm still prepared and I feel like if I get what I came prepared for, I'm going to be I'm gonna be content and I'm going to get what I came for. But I'm really hoping that there's going to be a surprise there or like a something spontaneous that's going to happen that's going to make it really a better moment for me, mm-hmm. you know. So it's I'm, – I'm always like – some people like a closed set and some people want a lot of control. Like I kind of like people being around and I kind of like someone over my shoulder who might say something to the artist and get them to laugh or to look the other way or, you know, that sort of thing. Like like I'm looking for like the moment when the guard all drops down, you know, like the shoulders relax and, you know. So whether – you know, and I'm a light chaser too. So like if I'm walking through a location and the light looks great over there, I could be heading to do something else. And I go, oh, no, no, wait a minute. Let's just go over here real quick. I just, and I'm, I'm, I'm always open to spontaneity. I'm always open to the surprises and like the happy accidents and letting some motion into the, into the equation. You know, Jim Marshall would tell me my photos were out of focus. You know, like, what is this? This was out of focus. I'm like, it's not out of focus. It's motion. Okay. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I've always liked the balance between the document and the art of it. 
you know, in a way where you can just sort of like let something happen and it be more artful and more loose and more, you know. So to answer that question, I really, you know, even if I only have a short amount of time, I'm still leaving something open, a space in my brain that says something spontaneous might happen and getting what I came for and then really trying to push the envelope sometimes. And, you know, honestly, I've, I've really, this year at Bonnaroo, my 15th year at Bonnaroo, and I honestly felt like... <laughs> I think a lot of artists are just, you know, overall insecure about what they're doing and how they're doing it and how they, are they getting it and that sort of thing. And I actually felt really comfortable this year. I felt really good with like the setup that I did. I felt really good about like how I was arranging people in a really short amount of time. And that comes from years of doing that stuff. Like, like you have you have four or five or eight or one like people coming over, bands, individuals, with a guitar, without a guitar, you know, you've done it a million times, how do you keep it fresh? Like all those things coming into play. And, you know, I've then been able to take that experience uh, from Bonnaroo and from actually I do the winners at the Grammys every year. So I've been doing the Grammys for almost as long, like maybe 12, 13 years. So, you know, you have like huge stars coming back there. You have Jay-Z and you have Beyonce and Taylor Swift and like these people coming back who have huge entourages and they have a little bit of time and they have less patience than the time they have. And like you have to engage them and you have to try and capture something and then you shoot them with the Grammy, which is cool. But then you also want to try to get something for you know, without the Grammy so that you have like an iconic portrait that's about, you know, like that moment you had with them. And, and the time is so short. And uh, I mean, it really, I'm, you know, I've really gotten on my game with that sort of thing. And I've been able to come in and have like a real short amount of time with somebody and come away with something I'm really proud of. Um, so this year, you know, I was felt really prepared at Bonnaroo for some reason. I just had a flow going on and I, I'm still editing that stuff. And Bonnaroo was like in June. And I honestly, the last couple of days, I've, I'm still going through images <laughs> I've, I've shot at Bonnaroo. But, you know, to answer your question and to circle back to how do I prepare or how do I capture something in such a short amount of time, you know, it's, it's being prepared and having a good idea. Like I think like um, when Annie creates her concepts and she goes in and she's like, I have this concept and I've, this is what I want to do and this is how I want to do it. Like she's very aware of what she's going to get. She's going to go in there and she's going to make that photograph and it's going to happen. You know, like I'm going in there and I'm like trying to capture something that I don't really know exactly what it is entirely. I have a good idea, but like I'm leaving a lot more open to chance than say she would be, mm -hmm. which is, which is exciting. Like I said, being prepared and being leaving things open for chance are really important for me. So what relates to the Grammys and the Bonnaroo and shooting quickly, I have a story about photographing some of the top soccer players uh, in the world uh, a, a couple of years ago for a, a campaign um, that was for Pepsi, actually. And it was portraits of, you know, Lionel Messi and uh, uh, Sergio Aguero and, and uh, you know, Clint Dempsey from America, uh, David Luiz. And all these amazing soccer players. And when I got the brief on what I was going to do and how long I was going to have with them, they said, you know, it's, this is going to happen really fast. And you're, you know, probably only going to get like 30 minutes with each of these athletes. <laughs> I was like, 30 minutes? <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> it was like a lifetime compared to like three minutes at the Grammys. I thought I'd share that one. You talk about in your in when you're making your photographs, you're in pursuit of the in between moment. Yeah, and I wanted you to just to describe that not only in terms of when you're photographing these people when they're live on stage, but when you're making an intimate portrait. What what is that about? What is the in between moment for you? 
I feel like when someone's distracted, there's like a, a little bit of a, you know, if they're distracted or if they're engaged or either one, there are very different moments, uh, an engaged moment or a distracted moment. They could be looking at the camera or they could not be. There's just that moment where like, I think all the the things that make people uncomfortable kind of fade away, you know, and then all of a sudden you're just there with like a really pure moment. And I think you look at the simple photographs that I think some people may get and some people may not, you know, you might look at Richard Avid, Richard Avedon's American West and some people might look at those photographs and think that they, you know, some people may get it and some people may not. And there's like a simplicity to those photographs that's so incredible, but there's also really a depth to those photographs of like the moment and the relationship between the photographer and the subject. And it really changes everything, you know, from a simple boring photograph to a simple engaging photograph, you know, for me. And I always think about that when I'm, when I'm shooting and I feel like if I'm playing some music and all of a sudden, you know, a James Brown song comes on and the artist I'm photographing responds to that music like to me, that's like a real honest moment and you can see it in their eyes and in their expression and their body language and things like that. And so it's important to be tuned into that stuff and not to miss it. You know, for me, there's those in-between moments where, for example, I might get upset with a stylist or, or a groomer or somebody who's jumping into the set when it, appear, it appears that I'm not photographing. But in fact, that's one of the better moments that I'm waiting to capture. It's hard. It's hard. Like, like a lot of times I might say, okay, cool. Yeah, I got it. You know, and then I'm going to shoot two or three more frames after I've said that because people's body language changes. And often with musicians, I find, you know, you give them an instrument and their whole body language changes. You know, you give a guitar player a guitar and even if they're not playing it, they're just so comfortable in that zone that it sometimes uh, can be a cliche. But on the other hand, it's also their comfort zone. And how about when you're performing someone live? Because, you know, the, it's often talked about looking for a sort of the peak moment. But it seems like you're, you're looking for a moment that's sort of before or after that. Yeah, I think the peak moment is really valid. And someone's at the microphone and they're screaming into the microphone or they're singing softly or whatever it is. And that's that's great. I think also it's the moments in between, like maybe – you know, when they turn away from the microphone or, or you know, in between songs when someone might be adjusting uh, the amplifier or talking with another bandmate or something like that. I really like those moments because they seem really intimate. And of course, you know, it's like photographing an athlete, you know, if someone's jumping into the air with their guitar, like those are amazing moments, which I love and try to capture. And I also, you know, like I said, comes down to some relationships where I'm able to get on the stage where most people have to be in the pit and I'm allowed to kind of, you know, sneak around behind the amplifiers and uh, get that relationship from that point of view, get that relationship between the artists and the fans and the atmosphere of the, uh, the venue that they're playing in, whether it's really small or whether it's a big stadium. I like, I like having that point of view. I find it to be unique and not everybody gets to be there. That's also one of my, one of my sweet spots that I like to hang out in. And again, you know, it's like, it's like anything. It's like, what's your point of view? What are you, what are you showing as a photographer? Are you, you know, are you, uh, you know, shooting with a wide lens and showing the whole stage? Are you shooting details with a really long lens? Are you letting some motion in there? Are you tack sharp? Are you like, what is it you're doing? Are you framing it a certain way with things in the foreground or is it, you know? Your book still moving is probably one of my favorite books of this year uh, that I've seen. Thank you. Um, just fantastic. But I, I can only imagine how it must have been, you know, considering the breadth of your work, 
to have to edit it down to about 200 photographs. Yeah. Tell me about that process, how, mm -hmm. you know, how challenging it was and what you learned about yourself as a photographer as a result of putting this book together. Yeah, it really was a challenge. And I would like to think that the photographs in there are just as strong as, as photographs, aside from the fact that maybe it's a photograph of Bruce Springsteen or Tom Waits and that. I mean, you can't take away from their character and who they are, but photographically, I'm, I'm, the intention was to be strong visually, you know, as well. And I worked with uh, my friend uh, Stefan Nedvetsky, who is um, the creative director on all the John Varvatos ads that I shoot. His company's called Yard, and they do um, – John Varvatos is a, uh, a men's fashion designer whose influence is heavily in – comes from rock and roll. He is a very um, interesting guy, Stefan, um, and he has a great visual style. He's, um, he's a fan of very classic images, and so am I. I'm just I'm a little scrappy and uh, sometimes unorganized. He is very uh, precise, and, and, and he's, he's very a lot more tidy than I am in the way he he the way he designs things i think for me the point of that is that we were such a great balance for each other because you know he he is is really simple in his design and 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 very like i could i could initially i initially kind of maybe saw the book as something more scrapbook kind of vibe you know like very loose and scrapbooky and and he came in and his design is so classic and so simple that it really let the photography stand out and it was a real benefit to me to have him on board and he's also a very direct and honest and funny character where he would say like yeah you know i know this is a great you know i know you had a great time taking this photograph of uh Bruce Springsteen, but you know, it's just not one of your stronger photo photos. And you're like, yeah, if you want to leave it in, like, go ahead. But I think it sucks. <laughs> he would say something like that to me. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Well, thanks. You know, you know, sometimes, you know, I would fight the good fight, and other times I'd just be like, hey, man, you know, if I overthink this, then I'm in big trouble. And what did I learn about myself is that one of the things that I took away from it was the lesson that I learned was, you know. I love a lot of these images and, you know, it's like they're all your, your children. But, you know, you just at a certain point, you just have to let go. If you don't, you'll drive yourself crazy. And I would drive myself crazy because I try to edit my own work a lot of times and it's really difficult. And he was able to cull it down from – he said he wanted like a thousand images or he might even said a couple hundred and I gave him like, you know, 2,000 images or oh, something. Wow. And he was – he really was able to put it into a, a great little collection and, you know, with good storytelling and matching things up. And we did it a real analog way. Like we did – you know, we printed the stuff out uh, and then put it up on a board and started pushing it around. It wasn't done uh, solely on the computer. Um, and we met every, you know, couple of weeks during the process to, you know, chip away at things and to, you know, rearrange and add and subtract. And, man, it was it was an incredible experience. It was real hard. Uh, but really, I'm really proud of it. Oh, really uh, and I think one of the coolest things for me was there, I guess it was on Amazon or something like that. Or There was a couple of sites that when the book came out that it was, you know, the book was, was acknowledged for, you know, on Amazon as one of the best photography books. It wasn't the best book of photographs of musicians, you know. And uh, so, 
you know, at one point I was like, you know, had my book was next to like, I don't know, Gary Winograd or something like that in like a, one of the lists of something or another. And I was like, okay, I'm kind of blown away by that. Yeah. Hey, um, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just curious, like, you know, from, from my point of view, I, I, I just have to say I'm, I am really honored to, you know, to be a part of, of what you, what you're doing there. And the, you know, the people that you've spoken to, uh, Marowitz and, 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 uh, Dan Winters, who I would have recommended had you not spoken to him. It's just, it's incredible to me. And I, and I'm really honestly excited about being a part of it. You know, for some reason you had slipped under my radar for whatever reason, but when I saw the book, it was like a no brainer. That's cool. I've, I've been, I've seen people obviously, you know, looking through the book and, and, you know, they'd be like, Oh, so you took these photos? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they'll be looking through it and they'll be like, so you took all these photos? I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's my name on the front. And they're like, so wait, you took all these photos? <laughs> like, yeah. I did. They're like, what? And, uh, it's incredible also to see like, uh, like I run into people all the time and I, I met this young, uh, guy who's a like a really up and coming uh, hip hop artist, Eric from a band called the Flatbush Zombies. And he is a photographer as well. And we were looking through some of my images and he had a friend there uh, who was also a big music fan. And he was asking me like what I had done and whatnot. And I was talking about the, a lot of the early hip hop stuff. And then I showed him that portrait of Tupac mm -hmm. that I had taken. And like the the look on his face when he saw that photo and he was like, no, wait, no, you did not take that photo. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. And he, was, he just was like, his mouth was just open. Like, what? I cannot believe it. And like a lot of people look at that photo. It's, it has that, that photograph has the vibe of like, like for me, like that Hendrix photo uh, where he's wearing the military kind of style Sergeant Pepper yeah. thing. And he's like smoking the cigarette. I'm trying to think of who took that. Was Herb Green or something like that? Or, uh, But it just reminds me of that, like, did that? Did somebody actually take that photo, or did it always right. just exist in the world? You know, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Let's talk about anyway. that. We can we can add this later. But that that Tupac yeah. photograph that you made. I mean, sure. it is it is an iconic photograph, and I think that every photographer in their career hopes that they can make at least one image that sort of is not only a great picture, but that sort of spans decades. That yeah. image is certainly that not only for me, but I think for just anyone who takes a look at it. You know, yeah. when you look at that picture now with all the history and all the sort of reaction that you get to it, how do you end up perceiving the photograph in a different way than you would, say, when you initially looked at it and said, oh, it's a really great photograph of Tupac? You know, I think, you know, people read into it whatever they want to read into it. Like, I think a lot, you know, I did the first Nas record. I talk about Illmatic where we went to the neighborhood where he was from and we photographed there. And like, you know, I hear people talk about those images and, you know, and knowing all the history, assume that I had could see into the future and know that it was going to be a legendary record, you know, when I didn't know. And the same with the Tupac thing. Like, I feel like, you know, my goal was to take a very simple portrait of this guy who who was really happening at the time. I shot it for Rolling Stone magazine. And, you know, my inspiration for that whole series, I have a series of images shot with that camera, which is a four by five, real simple, lit with a with a small umbrella, uh, very moody, kind of just like inspired by the Irving Penn portraits, you know. Um, and I just took it and, you know, that was my version of like an Irving Penn portrait. And I knew that like, if I keep it simple, 
that those images can be really powerful. And really, I, you know, I, I don't really look at it much different than when I took it. The idea was like that camera is so interesting. I, I decided at a certain point I wanted to shoot four by five because I was so much of the moment and such a fan of the document and captured moments that I thought it would be really cool for me to slow down for once and just take a deep breath and do a deliberate portrait. And, uh, and I did. And like at one point he was just changing his shirt, uh, to try a different, you know, jacket that he had. And I saw all the tattoos and as a fan of the document and knowing something visual, uh, when I see it, I thought, Hey, let's do one without your shirt on. And he said, sure. And he was a guy that was like, um, I think he understood the value of being in Rolling Stone magazine and being, um, you know, seeing a letting a whole new audience see him. And, uh, and, you know, he was an actor and was like, a, you know, into filmmaking and stuff. And he was he was interested in the camera and was like actually really engaged in the photo shoot. And whereas a lot of the uh, hip hop artists at that time uh, were showing up with like, you know, 10, 15 people entourages and just who were getting in the way. He showed up with one guy and he was he meant business and it was really cool. This conversation with Danny Clinch has been so much fun. I've not only learned so much just hearing him share his story, but it's given me an even greater appreciation for what it takes to make exceptional and lasting photographs of people, regardless of whether they are celebrities or not. You don't always get a sense of a person when you read a magazine article or a blog post. It's something that comes only from hearing them with your own ears. That's what we offer here at TCF, which you won't get anywhere else. It's what makes what we do so special. And if you agree, you can help us to produce more great content for you every week. Through Patreon, you can support the show with the regular monthly donations of $2, $5, $10, $25 or more, or anything in between. Your donations of any amount are the means by which we will improve the show and bring you more great conversations with the world's best photographers. Contribute today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you so much. I got a good, a good question for you. You know, when you're shooting groups, mm-hmm. for me, it's always sort of daunting in terms of, well, where do I put these people? And oh, yeah. So how do you sort of figure it out? Because I look at some of Annie's work, uh, like the more recent work that she's done, like for Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. And it seems like if you look at it based on just com- compositional rules, it mm-hmm. seems like, oh, okay, if you look at it in that in in that way and you're thinking about that, then it kind of makes sense where you place people. Mm-hmm. How conscious of you are that, or is it, you know, how do you sort of figure out where you're going to put someone relative to somebody else within a space to make it work? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of politics involved in it too. You know, someone's in a band, you know, like, you know, who's the important guy in the band and uh, that sort of thing. You know, how many people are, are, are in the band. So, you know, I do think about it ahead of time. A lot of times I do it on the spot. I do prepare like if I have to, but a lot of times I just kind of like look at the people and it's like, if somebody's like kind of, you know, and you're, they're all shapes and sizes, you know, somebody's super tall, somebody's like a little overweight, someone's 
you know, wearing a loud shirt and you need to hide it. And like, there's a lot of things that go into it, honestly. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of people would say to me, uh, I've had many people say to me like, yeah, we want this shot, you know, like if someone's hiring me for publicity, let's say, we don't want to be like four guys against the wall. And I'm like, well, some of the best shots I've ever seen are four guys against the wall, you know, the Ramones, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not really the four guys against the wall. It's boring. It's the people that are boring, you know? So it's like, where's the moment? What moment are you catching? What's your lighting look like? And what, you know, how are you participating in this? And so like I can start with four guys against the wall, but I always kind of do a dance around, you know, or four guys in a line. You know, I might do a little dance around where I move to the side and I shoot into the light and it becomes more silhouette or like, again, it's like kind of like a process that I'm working out as I go. And, you know, I might, I might block it out, you know, ahead of time. And then sometimes I just kind of go with the flow. It depends on how much time I have and, you know, what the nature of the shoot is. Um, But it is hard. It's really hard. I I shot the Dave Matthews band. I remember early on saying, I'm not putting Dave in the front, you know, (laughs) like I'm just going to put him somewhere else, you know? And, you know, I tried to put him in the back and shoot through the other guys and make them a little softer and maybe he's in focus. And, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, it doesn't work. (laughs) Dave Matthews has got to be like, at least on the side, forward a little bit, you know, I mean, he doesn't have to be, but at the end of the day, you know, nobody, you know, they don't end up choosing any of the ones that I think are more artful and more sort of, you know, uh, it's just one example of of that, but it's hard. And, you know, four people versus five and six people versus seven, you know, it's like the even numbers I think are more difficult to shoot than uh, the, than the, than the odd. Yeah, because it's like compositionally. A, when yeah. I'm photographing just a singular person, like you talk about that in between moment, it's like I'm I'm often looking for sort of that off moment. Yeah, you know when they let their guard down or when they think the shoot is over and they finally kind of relax. And I'm yeah. thinking, and whenever I have to photograph more than more than one person, it's like it, it's such a challenge to just be aware of what everyone is doing. Yeah, you know, because everyone yeah. is going to like sort of let go at a different at different moments, and I yeah. it's, I can only imagine what it's like for for you, especially when you know. You got to deliver for somebody. You got to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. And it's, uh, it's funny because you think about like as a young photographer, like I was so excited about taking photographs of bands and people and stuff like that. And I always said to myself when I was a lot younger, I was like, I don't need experience. You know, I have the energy and I have the creativity like to go out there and make this happen. I can shoot it just as well as the, you know, experienced photographer and stuff. But as I do, as I am now older, Honestly, experience is so invaluable. <laughs> you know, you just get to the spot so much faster and then you can – that leaves you more time to uh, to be a little bit more creative by taking your experience and getting to the sweet spot sooner so that you can then push it even farther. Oh, and I forgot to ask you about the um, uh, Motor Drive, uh, about the other yeah. book that you were working on. Uh, where, where, where are you standing with that? Tell us about, tell us about that. Well, um, the motor drive started uh, after I finished my book, Still Moving, and I, and I have a, a collection of friends that are creatives as well, and a friend of mine, Alex Nowak, who's a creative director at Droga 5, an ad agency here in New York, and he's an award-winning uh, creative, great guy. He's a friend of mine. We thought, let's work on something together. So I said, all right, like, come on in. Like, here's, here's my work. Here's some stuff with half frames. Here's some plastic camera stuff. Here's, I have this whole bin of, of images of musicians with their, with their cars, motorcycles on their tour buses, whatever. He's like, I want to do that. And, uh, so 
you know, a lot of it's like American car culture in, in a way. And so it was interesting to have a guy who's German uh, come in and like and create this body of work. And I really, I said, the only way I can do this is I'm handing it all off to you and I'm going to let you choose everything. And he's like, great. And so, you know, we certainly collaborated on uh, uh, in many ways, but I really left it up to him. So we, what we did was not only um, did we write about the cars and, you know, what kind of vehicles they were and, and, and little stories and things like that. Uh, we had Tom Morello wrote, wrote the forward to it from Rage Against the Machine. He has a 1971 uh, Dodge Demon. It's got a 340 cubic inch motor. And so at the end of the day, we made this book like self-published. We made 340 of the books that are all editioned and numbered uh, in honor of Tom's uh, Dodge Demon. And I sell them for $502, which is 502 was the largest production V8 motor for a G, you know, for cars in America back in the day. Uh, and I include like a print of Neil Young sitting on the back of uh, this old Cadillac. It's really a, it's a, it's a honestly a great bargain for what they're what people are getting, since my prints sell for even more than that. But it was more like a labor of love and just wanting to do something cool. We actually made the uh, we made these little slip cases for them out of uh, like the material like that pleather material that you would see if you were riding in like a you know, a 68 Impala or something, you know, uh, and like we hand stamp it and we, you know, we, uh, brand the, the front of it with the motor drive, um, logo and stuff. So it was really just a labor of love. And I had a pretty big gallery show at the milk gallery, um, last year and sold a, a lot of them right out of, out of the gate, but I haven't really been pushing them. I haven't really had the opportunity. I've been so busy to create a proper, uh, PR push on it. So I think that um, they might they might trickle out, but it doesn't bother me because they're so beautiful. And I think all of a sudden, just the right press is going to get out there to let people realize that it's actually there. And I think they'll just probably disappear pretty soon. When when did it happen for you that you were going out there and doing your commercial editorial work, and all of a sudden you discovered that your work was valuable in terms of the fine art market? Were you approached by someone? Did you go out and pursue it? How did that How did that work out? Yeah, I started. Um, I met the guys from uh, Morrison Hotel Gallery, you know, and Henry Diltz is one of the partners there. Uh, there's another guy you probably want to talk to, Henry, you know, being the guy who shot a lot of the legendary um, rock and roll images from that era, the 60s and 70s, The Doors and CSNMY and all that, Neil. Um, and they said, you know, we have, you know, we're, we're, we're going to specialize in rock and roll photography as fine art and we wanted you to be a part of it. And I was like, cool. So I started to, you know, have shows there and, um, and that, but, uh, the earliest guy who gave me a show is this uh, guy named Chris Murray, who uh, is out of DC. And he actually, I, if I understand correctly, gave Annie her first show, her first gallery show, fine art show. And, uh, his place was called Govinda gallery. And uh, he gave me my first show and I actually sold some prints and stuff and it was really uh, exciting. I realized that, you know, people wanted to, you know, put this stuff on their wall. And, you know, as, a, as, a, as an artist and as a, you know, a photographer and a big fan of the document and all that, you know, you think to yourself, is, is what I'm doing valuable on a lot of levels? And when you think about how much music means to people and how someone like Eddie Vedder, the effect he has on on his fans and the love they have for his music and his words and the uh, and all that and how that gets people through 
their hard times. It helps them celebrate. It brings back the memories of their life. You know, they're, it's pretty damn important, I think. Yeah. How has your how has your the work that you do for 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 bands and for music labels changed now? With with the industry not being so much about albums and CDs and album art, and it's more about the individual download for a single. Has has mm-hmm. what you do for for these clients changed, and if so, and if so, how? Well, I think um, you do have to think about how I kind of I do have to think about how, how I think about shooting things. Um, they certainly have to think about the choices they're making for uh, what's going to be on say iTunes, you know, is it a banner that's like super horizontal? You know, is it a tiny little picture of the artist that pretty much has to be like a close headshot or a face shot, or you're not even going to be able to tell what it is. Like those are the, those are the decisions they need to make. But also the record labels, it's so different now. The record labels are, you know, barely hanging on and um, the budgets are small. And I feel, I feel fortunate because I have, a lot of clients and, you know, bands that I've worked with over the years who are successful and who are willing to to have a decent budget for me because, you know, I am, of course, making my living and paying my bills and putting my kids through college through, you know, my photographs of musicians, you know. You know, it is frustrating sometimes when, say, a band who might be selling out Madison Square Garden coming to you with a, a budget that makes you laugh, you know, like, well, wait a minute, like, how, what do you, you know, and for for a manager or a record company to come and say to you, like, well, you know, this is coming out of the band's pocket. And I'm like, okay, like, are they, are they taking a cut at Madison Square Garden? You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, so I'm fortunate that the people that I work with are, are, are really fair to me. And I've managed to hold on to a lot of the people that, uh, you know, again, it's about relationships and stuff. And so, I've I've been I've been lucky, but you know there have been people who have come to me uh, with um, you know a lot of sometimes these young pop art pop artists or whatever who you know are doing really well and selling out a lot of venues across the world or whatever, and they come to me and they're like, you know, we love your work and you know, can you do this artist? And I think, okay, well, cool, you know, they'll probably pay my day rate, and then they don't, and I'm just like, well, you know, I just I I'm really busy and I can't make time for for something that isn't going to help me pay my bills. On the mm-hmm. other hand. I'll also step up and do something for free for someone if I like their music enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I do that all the time or for a very small budget. If somebody comes to me and like, yeah, you know, I just don't have really a budget. They gave me this or, and it's somebody who I know is trying to, trying to make it and get it, get their work out there. Or I'm just a huge fan of the band. Um, then I'll, I'll do it. doesn't matter to me at the end of the day. If it's something I love. Yeah, I think one of the benefits that you've had as a result of doing your work is, is, um, a long-standing relationship with Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier how about, you know, growing up with his music, but it must be surreal to not only have the chance to photograph him, but to consider him a, a friend. Yeah. Well, he's a great collaborator, and I, I really, uh, I mean, he actually is, you know, you're always afraid to meet your heroes, but he's actually the guy who everybody kind of believes that he would be really, really fun first of all and funny and smart and curious <laughs> and like treats everybody really uh like you would want to be treated and then some understands that a simple hello or you know whatever means the world to people and giving back to the community like he does i mean he gives back and it's like a huge inspiration for me to, to be able to give back to 
the community that you came from and the people you care about and to know that like, why wouldn't you, you know, have, if you've had so much success in your life to be able to, to give back and, and stuff like that. So uh, that has been great. And he's been, he's been just so generous to me in terms of like, he wrote the forward to my still moving book. Uh, he allows me to come out to any show that I want to, and I can just, you know, show up. And as long as I, you know, you know, I'll get there or I say, I'm going to come out to a show and say, yeah, okay, well, we'll just, we'll mention it to Bruce and make sure that he's, you know, got no reason why you shouldn't be coming out. And they always, he always lets me come out and, and photograph. And it's a, it's a great relationship for me. And, and, you know, here's a guy who, you know, we can talk about photography and music for forever and ever, you know, he's such a student of, of that. And, you know, he's even told me about, you know, like, man, you know, I'd listen, I'd stand in front of the mirror with my guitar and, you know, look at the, look at those Elvis poses and try and mimic them in the mirror or whatever. And it's, uh, it's, it's cool to have that relationship with people and to, and to share that, um, you know, that joy and stuff. And like, it's cool, like for me, even to, you know, spend time with someone like, you know, Eddie Vedder or Dave Grohl or somebody like that. And, you know, they're, they're, they're now at a point where they're actually become friends with Bruce Springsteen or, you know, Dave with Paul McCartney and stuff. And, and, you know, they're, they're still just like you and me where they're like, holy cow, I was just hanging out with Paul McCartney, you know, <laughs> like it just, just blows their mind and you can like feed off of that great energy and then being able to photograph those two guys together, you know, like Dave and Paul McCartney or, you know, uh, Eddie with Neil Young is like that. That's, I love that stuff. I love being able to, you know, to capture two artists together who admire each other, who I happen to love also. Uh, that's one of my great uh, joys. And there's a whole section in my still moving book called friends and family, which is kind of along that line of like, Oh, here's, you know, Ed with Neil Young and, uh, you know, Chris Christopherson with Steve Earle and, mm. and, and Dave and Paul McCartney and stuff. So, you know, that stuff, you know, it's all these great life experiences. Do you ever get intimidated? And if so, how do you, how do you get past it? Um, I don't really anymore. I, I don't know. I'm still super excited about it. I've just been able to just put it behind me and just try to be myself because otherwise, you know, I'm screwed. It's like sink or swim. You know, you get out there and like, if you let all that get in your way, you can't really think clearly as to what it is you're actually are coming to do. And, you know, I've, I've met so many people that of note that, um, you know, you just realize at the end of the day, like, well, you know, they're all just people. And, you know, I've lived a pretty interesting life. So I have some stories. If I have to tell a story, I've got one, you know, you know, there's nothing worse than being somewhere and you're with someone you really admire and you just, you, you, you can't come up with anything intelligent to say. We've all been there. You know, you're like, uh, oh, you know, and there are some people who are like that. You, you just can't imagine you have anything in common with. And, uh, I just try to find that common ground and that keeps me grounded. I mean, I talked to Chuck Berry once and I was like, what am I going to say to Chuck Berry? Yeah. You know? I started talking about the old Cadillacs that I used to drive around with. And, you know, he got all excited and started talking about Cadillacs. And I was like, all right. <laughs> 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 it's fun. It's a challenge, you know, for sure. Is a, There's a skill in that too. My son met someone that he really admired recently. He was like, oh, man, I didn't know what to say. I was like stumped. I'm sitting there like, oh. And I was like, yeah, I know it's hard. Like, I really research people and I got like a handful of uh, – of things that I know I could bring up if I had to, to keep the conversation going, you know? Yeah. I don't, I'm trying to think of the last time I was like really intimidated by, by someone. I feel like I was recently and I, but I mean, I think 
Bob Dylan is pretty pretty intimidating. Oh yeah, and you pulled it off beautifully. <laughs> I mean, that's just great. I mean, just to have eight hours with Bob Dylan is just unimaginable. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Well, yeah. my last my last question that I ask each guest is that I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? You know, I heard you ask people that and I, I didn't want to overthink it, but you know, the, have you spoken to Frank Ockenfels? No, no, I know Frank, but I haven't interviewed him. Yeah. I haven't landed I, him yet. I just, I just find him to be a boundaryless photographer and I think that he's a really engaging guy and I, I, uh, I don't get to talk to him as much as I'd like to, but I keep up on what he's, what he's doing. And I think he's just really an artist, you know, he's really creative and he has a really great outlook and he's like just super cool, uh, individual. I think about him. I, he's the first person that popped into my mind and I don't want to beat myself up over it thinking of someone else, but you know, certainly, uh, I don't know, Danny Lyon. I'd like to hear you talk to Danny Lyon, oh, yeah. that's for sure. Well, then, thank you so much. You're being very, yeah. very generous with me today. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I really I really like what you're doing, and I, I feel like I'm really happy that you're doing it because I want to hear more of these, and I I hope, uh, you know, you, I, obviously that you continue to do it. And, I, and, I, and you know, I feel like when I when I hear your you have you have great questions first of all and you've done your research which is awesome, but also I like the fact that you let the people talk and tell their story and aren't like, oftentimes if I some of the some blogs I've listened to uh, not necessarily photography blogs but others where, you know the interviewer is just completely interrupting people all the time and not letting them tell their story and because like you know I like to hear the story I want to hear the person finish their thought mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, and I think you do a great job at that, so. Oh, thank you. Thanks again for listening, and thanks to Danny for a great conversation. You can find out more about Danny and his work by visiting dannyclinch.com. But I strongly recommend picking up a copy of his book, Danny Clinch, Still Moving. I'll have a link in the show notes and on the website. Please remember that you do make a big difference to our show. Take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. It helps increase our ranking and creates greater awareness of the show. You can also support the show by making a regular monthly contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame, or you'll find a link in the show notes and the candid frame website. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is the candid frame.